podcast that rewatches, reviews, and responds to every movie, show, and one-shot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Al Rodriguez. And I'm Tony Camarena. And I am TK of There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. And before we get too far into things, we want to ask you again, uh, just <laughs> like every other episode, uh, if you could follow us on Twitter, we are at MCU underscore Rewind. And if you, you can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, or I think Stitcher is probably the only other app where you can rate podcasts, maybe Spotify, I don't remember. Whichever one you can give ratings <laughs> on, we want to ask you to give us a rating on there. And tell your friends to subscribe to our show. Uh, and then, as you've already uh, heard, TK is rejoining us again this week. Uh, TK, if you want to give a, a quick little uh, introduction again about yourself and the, the uh, podcast that you do. That's right. Thanks. Yeah. And I had a ton of fun doing part one with you guys. So I'm looking forward to part two of Doctor Strange. Um, yeah. So my podcast, again, is called There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. And I'm joined by different guests each week. And we take a somewhat academic approach to different themes in the movies of the MCU. So uh, if you're interested in checking it out, I would, I would appreciate that. Yeah, and I definitely recommend everyone uh, who listens to this, definitely listen to TK's show. It's it's great. So, uh, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so jumping into this, uh, so we're doing part two of Doctor Strange. It's the middle part. Uh, this is when... Uh, Doctor Strange gets accepted into uh, training at Comartage uh, to the end of the hospital fight scene where he leaves the hospital uh, going in through that portal. Uh, and again, just as a reminder, Doctor Strange, this movie originally aired November 6th of 2016. And as always, here's a rundown of this section of the movie in hopefully one minute or less. Steven accepts the Ancient One's teachings. He studies under the Ancient One and Mordo, and uh, from ancient books in the library that is now guarded by Wong. Steven learns uh, that the Earth is protected from threats from other dimensions by a shield generated by the Three Sanctums in New York City, London, and Hong Kong. The Sorcerer's task is to uh, protect the Sanctum. Strange progresses quickly and uh, secretly reads the text from which Caecilius stole the pages learning to bend time with the eye of Agamotto. Mordo and Wong warn Strange against breaking the laws of nature and comparing him to Cassilius and his desire for eternal life. Cassilius uses the stolen pages to contact Dormammu of the Dark Dimension, where there is no time. Cassilius destroys the London Sanctum to weaken Earth's protection, and his zealot, I can't say the word, and his allies then attack <laughs> the New York Sanctum, killing its guardians. But Stephen holds them off with the help of a cloak of levitation, only to be critically injured during the skirmish. He teleports himself to the hospital, where Christine meets him and saves his life. So, moving into our fast facts. Oh, you got his sling ring. I mean, they can't escape, right? On your left. Uh-huh, on my left. Got it. You didn't see that coming? Uh, TK, do you have any facts or anything you want to bring up for these Easter eggs or connections to the larger MCU? For this section, I'll be honest, I don't have anything other than I appreciated a mention of the Avengers. Uh, when uh, Wong mentions how they're the protectors of kind of the earthly realm and that... Uh, you know, the sorcerers who protect the sanctums are 
kind of in charge of the more mystical threats. So I, I liked that little connection, but that's all I got. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be with someone who didn't know this was a Avengers related movie and be like surprised when the Avengers are brought up. <laughs> How about you, Al? <laughs> um, no, you know, nothing really. And, and I'm going to be honest, Tony, I may have just subconsciously given up on this category. Uh, <laughs> not in a bad way, but more like every time we, we, we talk about things that should go into fast facts, I realize, oh, you know what? That's in a different category. Or, oh, no, I put stuff somewhere else. So maybe I have some. I just put them in the wrong category. Let's just pretend that that's what happened. And okay. let's go over your fast facts. All right. Well, I actually like held myself to very few fast facts. There are so many Easter eggs in the section. <laughs> um, the first and most important, not Easter egg, but just a fact that I made up and it's probably untrue, that this is the first movie with two actors named Benedict in the same film. Because Benedict Wong and Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that must have gotten a little confusing on set. I know. I mean, I thought they had to assume they'd never work with someone else named Benedict. <laughs> do do they go by like a shortened version of their name, like Ben or something? Or I've I've heard people refer to uh, Cumberbatch as Ben. Oh, uh, particularly uh, Martin Freeman um, <laughs> would refer to him as Ben in interviews. So hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, also, so I looked up just a couple of things that we hear about. The book of uh, Cagliostro in the comics is actually um, uh, a still. Uh, it was the book that was stolen in this. In the comics, it's the journal of an evil sorcerer named Cagliostro and his discoveries. But in relation to what we've been covering in um, in uh, Agents of Shield, it holds many passages from the Darkhold. So this is um, the Darkhold is pretty much the source of all evil in season four of Agents of Shield. Hmm. So um, here's that's a small connection to what we're seeing currently um, airing in those episodes. And then also uh, one of the artifacts that um, Mordo uses is the staff called the Staff of the Living Tribunal. In the comics, the Living Tribunal was like a cosmic entity. Uh, his job was to safeguard the multiverse for mystical, from mystical threats. He was essentially the sorcerer's boss. Um, in a deleted scene, or more like more accurately, like a thrown away concept, Marcus and Mifili, um, the writers of Endgame and uh, Infinity War said that they wanted the Living Tribunal to make an appearance in Infinity War after Thanos makes a snap, where he's judged by the Living Tribunal. Uh, They thought that was too high concept and confusing for the average viewer, so they replaced it with the young Gamora scene we got in Infinity War Hmm. right after the snap. So yeah, this I, I feel like this is being littered, especially with the uh the not quite reference to um, Carol Danvers and getting struck by lightning that people thought, I think this is littered with like ideas that they might have um, avenues. They might have taken in the MCU, but were thrown away. That's interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And this is kind of like the easy place to put it, right? Like, like all of these things have names of 
actual characters that they might actually use at some point in the future. Um, especially, I guess, now that you mentioned that one of those almost was used in Infinity War, mm-hmm. which which sounds like it might actually be used in maybe Multiverse of Madness or, or something, because it's already at you know the top of their mind to use those characters. Yeah. I feel uh, as if they should have learned their lesson by now, because they did the same thing in the first Thor movie, where they have the Infinity Gauntlet that they had to have Kate Blanchett say was fake. <laughs> and, and they actually had a version of the Eye of Agamotto in there, too, which it looks different, it's larger, and it's blue, but it's supposed to be the same thing. Which hmm. now I guess they'll, they'll retcon that saying it's something else now. Or also, never bring it up because they blew up the planet. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> also fake. Nothing in the um, in their their vault was actually real, except for the tesseract. Yeah, the tesseract and um, the guy's horn that Thor gets at the beginning of Ragnarok that he puts in there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the fire that you know you had to throw the horn into that they put right next to. It. Anyway. It's poor planning. <laughs> All right, fine. There were like actually twenty things in there that were real, but it was filled with a thousand. So you know, it's very okay. very few percentage wise. Okay, that's I'll I'll accept that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to our discussion of our heroes. It is one thing to question the official story, and another thing entirely to make wild accusations or insinuate that I'm uh, a superhero. I so, never said I mean, you're a superhero. Didn't. Mm-mm. Well, good, because that would be outlandish and uh, fantastic. Well, heroes like the Avengers protect the world from physical dangers. We sorcerers safeguarded against more mystical threats. I saw you. You're a hero. Like, a for real superhero, which is, I'm not like a groupie stalker type. But... Which I do have two heroes in this, but I will not reveal who they are until later. Well, I guess I'll reveal one right now. The first one's Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be okay. quite a plot twist if it wasn't. Caecilius, <laughs> is that is that what you think? Uh, okay. No. After we talk about Strange, I'll tell you who my other hero is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, where do either of you you two want to start with the with Doctor Strange? I'll leave um, that up to you, TK. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I mentioned in part one how the the question that the Ancient One po- poses to him, who are you in this vast multiverse, uh, really kind of sets up a central question that we're looking at in terms of his journey in this movie. And then early in this part, he asks, um, how do I get there? Sorry, how do I get from here to there? Right? When they're practicing the, the training of uh, using the sling ring and and being able to conjure those gateways. So I think that that question too really kind of speaks to where he's at in his journey for this part two. How is he going to get from where he is to where he wants to go? Yeah, that's a good point. It it also kind of brings up the, the reminder that like he's forgotten how to be the student because, you know, at one point, I mean, he answers the the question exactly, right? How he became a doctor. Years of practice, years of study. And he hasn't been in that situation for some number of years. We we don't know how old he is, but, you know, he, he forgets that he actually has to put in the effort to learn this mm-hmm. stuff and practice and get good at it. It's not something that he'll just immediately know. 
Yeah, and you'll see that a lot with uh, like gifted children as they grow up. Like when they're children, they didn't have to try, and um, they have to deal with strange. Obviously, didn't have to do this, but dealing with uh, wasted potential because now they have to try, and they never learned that work ethic. Mm. And whereas a strange, I mean, he's not just getting it; it's not clicking with him right away in this. So I think he's suffering from that just a little bit. I also want to call out that um, I run uh, three different Dungeons & Dragons groups for my kids at work from 3rd through 8th grade, so I'm always thinking uh, Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> uh, in in D&D, a sorcerer is specifically a magic user who is born with powers, and a wizard is a person who is has to learn magic from books and reading. So um, I'm... I'm highly offended that they did not get that right in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Dungeons and Dragons is obviously the only authority where <laughs> magic is concerned. <laughs> Even Harry Potter had to learn his magic. <laughs> That's really interesting that you bring that up, though, because I'm I'm thinking about um, when he's talking with Wong and Mordo, and he's he's transgressed right by using the eye of Agamotto and not really understanding the negative consequences that might come along with that. And uh, they're very impressed that he was even able to do it. And he cites his photographic memory as being what got him through traditional schooling, right. For medical school, mm-hmm. for medical school. Um, but they, I forget which one of them, Wong or Mordo says to him, like, no, like, you know, you were born for the mystic arts and I thought that was really interesting, like this sense of it's almost contradictory in nature. Like one of the things I like about Stephen Strange's journey in this movie is that he, uh, you know, he wasn't bit by the spire by the spider and then like, you know, has to figure out what to do with these powers. It's like he's training and studying to get these powers and to use them. Um, but then that line almost kind of contradicts that a little bit. So I was curious what you guys thought thought about that like is is this something inherent in him that he's prone to these mystic arts or is he really just really really good at practicing it i think i think he's really good at practicing it but i'm wondering how much mordo or wong whoever said that um was how much knowledge they had from the ancient one who could see the future and knew Mm. that doctor strange would be the sorcerer supreme so yeah he would have to work for it but also they know his destiny Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I kind of took it to mean more like, yeah, you just you're good at this. You have a talent in okay. in this regard, right? Like, like if someone says, "Hey, you were born to be an artist," um, that's not something anyone ever would have told me because I couldn't <laughs> color within the lines. But <laughs> something to that effect, right? Like if if you were really good at it at a young age or even, you know, maybe someone in your 40s and you decide to you know switch careers, right? And then you realize, oh, you're really good at this. Like, you know, why did you never spend the time getting better at it? Like, you know, that kind of thing. Although it's actually a little funny. So um, the Halloween special that we did uh, a couple weeks ago or that we have recorded yeah. already, but TK, you haven't heard it. Anyway, so for the, the 1978 uh, Doctor Strange movie, um, you know, that that's actually something that they they basically say in that movie also. Like he was he was born with the ability to do magic, but he still had to like has to train and, and learn to to do that kind of stuff. 
but they they seek him out because he specifically was born to be able to do that stuff. Interesting. Um. So talking about like the knowledge, I, I'm I'm fascinated because we brought this up last week, and I've never really thought about it before the knowledge of that the ancient one has of Strange's future. It, I when I took notes, I was like, uh, she uh, put Strange on the top of Mount Everest or on the side of Mount Everest and left him there, where he would go into shock <laughs> in two minutes. Um, and I thought that was extremely reckless because if he's thinking his hands are shaking, it's holding him back. His shivering is not going to help his mentality. But also, she knows he can do it. It's a paradox. He knows that he can do it because she knows what he will do. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I am so fascinated and confused by the idea that all of this is predestined. Um, yet later he's tempted by Caecilius. Shouldn't they? Shouldn't she know what has to happen to save the lives of those people? Or is everything just already predestined and she's just going with it? Hmm. Yeah, okay, that is weird. Um, Well, first of all, (laughs) the first thing that I want to mention is um, he's not the first one that she's done that to. She's she's taken other people (laughs) to places and come back. Because when she goes back, Mordo says, oh no, not again. So... It it's probably like a specific training technique that that she'll use with some people. Maybe she did mm-hmm. it with him with Porto. I guess we don't know. Um, but I, I mean, you're right with the whole paradox thing. I mean, and and man, all right. So now I'm just like taking this like even a step further. How does she know that he is going to be you know really good at what he does? Because she's not able to see past her death, which happens in part three of this movie but you know that's something that she says she can't she sees up until that moment she never sees what he does what dr strange does she just knows that he's going to be well to quote her in endgame the best of us yeah i i mean not to get too far into it but i mean it's got me thinking a little bit about different theories of uh that are religious in nature right like um different religious beliefs about you know gods and powers that are uh, interventionist or not, right? Like, like, is there this um, extent to which she knows what's going to happen, but doesn't want to alter her actions in order to influence it a certain way? I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing to think about. I think we're getting to the root of why Al hates time travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh. So many yeah. possible things that are kind of right, and then we only go with one of them, but the other ones kind of exist too. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we should back away from this subject very slowly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just don't look away. <laughs> um, one Easter egg I put in here, because no one would have known who Hamir was. The guy with one arm, uh, mm-hmm. Master Hamir in the comics is uh, Wong's father. So I thought that huh. would be a little interesting. Oh. Call back. I mean, and for all it's... we know, he could still be Wong's father. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Different name, I guess, or is Hamir his first name? 
Or um, is Wong his first name? So many questions. <laughs> I, I I think it's just Wong, like Adele or Beyonce. Well, oh yeah. <laughs> Bono, Eminem, <laughs> Aristotle. <laughs> I'm glad they threw Aristotle in there, because otherwise it would have been totally dated. <laughs> I agree. I, I was watching it this time around. I was like, Adele is the first one he mentions. Like you could I know, right? that was very of the moment that they wrote that. <laughs> um yeah, so he meets Wong and Wong gives him like free reign of not free reign of the library, but takes him to the advanced classes because he read some books really fast, which I thought was weird. Um, yeah, he didn't test him at all or like just make sure he understood the the knowledge that he read. He just assumed that okay, you read the book, you you know it all now. Yeah. And then uh later he he rescinds the offer because he won't let Stephen read certain books. Um so but my point is his um Stephen steals from uh the library using the portals. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, did that is this showing me th- that Caecilius could have just done that and not have killed that guy, or did he, was he doing the uh, out of spite? I almost wonder if. Uh, so yeah, for me that that moment uh, as as a teacher is like when when you <laughs> when when you've succeeded so well in uh, <laughs> in in uh, teaching the lesson that you wanted to to get through and then the student takes it to the next level and bests you right with mm-hmm. the, <laughs> well let me show you what i've learned now with my knowledge um I, that, that kind of says something about him and, and the kind of smart that he is whereas maybe caecilius um was maybe just frankly more prone to evil prone to to taking yeah. the uh the less humane way out and so perhaps uh using his intellect in a savvy way didn't occur to him no that that's definitely true especially i mean we see what path he goes down in this one <laughs> well, uh, or i mean we could kind of take it a, a, a different direction you know going back to the whole you know comparisons with D. they're just different alignments right um hmm. in in this part we find out that um opening a a portal in the library is against the rules. It doesn't seem to be like there's a spell blocking it. It's just a thing people aren't supposed to do. So Caecilius, lawful evil. Doctor Strange, mm. neutral good, chaotic, chaotic good, probably good. chaotic good. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's really interesting. No, that's true. Yeah, he is. He is following the rules until he murders someone and steals the book or steals some pages, though. So I don't know how lawful he is. Yeah. But okay, yeah. I mean that that's the that's the problem with D and D alignment charts. There are more than nine personalities types, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> more, that's true. or more ways. Um, I also personally think that uh, astral projecting so you can read while you sleep, while very useful. I do enjoy like not being conscious for eight hours of my day <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky. Yeah, but think of how many TV shows you can catch up on. Yes, that's true. <laughs> or I can actually read the giant pile of books that are behind me right now in my office. <laughs> exactly, that too. Yeah. Or you can get a second job, 
Oh, man. No. All right. So too many bad things that could happen. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd prefer to just rest, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is um, that do you do either of you think that that's restful sleep or like restful enough? I mean, you don't you wouldn't get into the REM stages. So you wouldn't be getting that dream sleep that supposedly you need. Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> if, if if one's body is like resting but but your mind is not I don't know. Sometimes I just want to turn my mind off. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's the same thing as lucid dreaming, though, mm-hmm. which people can do. And then, I mean, there's so many questions. Th- this is the problem with fantasy, uh, at least over sci-fi, is there's so many questions that are just kind of unanswerable. <laughs> that's, I think that's where we're getting stuck. Yep. <laughs> so, um, can uh, Strange now read Sanskrit? Because he's reading about the Eye of Agamotto, he doesn't have his translator app like he said he had. <laughs> I mean, I guess he memorized the characters. He read some words over and over. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, maybe that's what he was doing in his sleep. I don't know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I think once you've got asked for projection, you're good. Honestly, right? I mean, we find out that he's like, in this part, he's about to quit being um, a sorcerer when he found out that he has to fight bad guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was, that's when he's like, oh, what are you talking about? I just came here to heal my hands. It's like, no, yeah. you're, you're in too deep now, man. It's true. Yeah, it, exactly what uh, that other guy was. What I, I forgot his name already. Pangborn? Pang- mm-hmm. Yeah, Pangborn. Yeah, he... he only went there to heal himself and and then he was good. He decided to just leave. But yeah. I mean, as we, but we see in Endgame as, uh, or Infinity War, he's the Sorcerer Supreme and he still doesn't heal his hands, but that's probably because he has different priorities at that point. Yeah, that's true. He's too busy making sure Thor and Loki don't get into trouble. <laughs> yeah. That's a full-time job right there. <laughs> true yeah true. i i do think to the, the his growth as a, as a character you know the fact is when he's learning all of this information right and here he was so so hungry for knowledge and now he's learning all of this information from wong and from mordo about the sanctums and about the dark dimension and all of these things and he says i came here to heal my hands and not fight in your mystical war and then literally like right after that he's thrown into it and he, you know, he does rise to the occasion, you know, when he fights with, with Caecilius. And then, um, I know we're, we're not quite there yet, but he makes the decision to continue that fight and to go back. I mean, I don't know if there was a point after he gets, um, you know, treated, uh, you know, operated on by Christine, if he could have turned his back at that point, just said, this is not for me. I, I'm in too much over my head, but he goes back. Yeah, I mean, that's, if he didn't care, that'd be the perfect opportunity to, I mean, he can literally take himself anywhere, or he could just stay with Christine. You're right. Yeah, Yeah, and and this does kind of jump into 
part three of the movie, so I don't want to go into it too much. But uh, you know, when part three starts, he's he's talking to, I, I think it was Mordo and Wong, and, and saying, you know, I took an oath not to hurt people, and I just killed someone. Mm-hmm. And so, at a minimum, it's already like you know he's he, you know kind of doing that balancing act of like, well, which world do I want to live in? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to go back a little bit and talk about him trying out the Eye of Agamotto. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is another logic thing, and we're going to get stuck, and I already know how it's going to happen, but I have to pose a question. What? <laughs> so he can fast forward and rewind the apple, and he does the same to the book, which actually is a good idea. Mm-hmm. No one has thought of it at this point. But it starts whatever this is happening, this paradox or this branching timeline or whatever Mortar is yelling him about. I'm trying to figure out what triggered that. What triggered that... Wait, what time disruption? When he was... um, Because, like, when he was playing with the apple, it didn't trigger anything. Wait, wait, what, what, what do you mean? What time disruption? I might have missed something. Alright, so he's rewinding the book so he can see the pages... And suddenly it looks like the mirror universe opens up in front of them and the Mordo busts in and berates him for playing with time. Rightfully so. But mm-hmm. Oh, so I've always taken that to mean something else. I thought that that was a spell that Mordo or Wong were doing to basically like push him into the mirror dimension if something goes horribly wrong mm-hmm. as like a we need to get you away from this world because you're messing with things you should not mess with. But actually, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. That's an interesting interpretation, though. I I hadn't thought about that. that yeah, I hadn't been. thought about that yeah. either. Yeah, and actually, when I was rewatching it this time, I thought it was like they basically put him in the mirror dimension, and that's why we were seeing it visibly. But then we realized that well, that never happens because he never like goes into it or leaves. So it, it definitely wasn't that. But, um, huh. I guess both could work, either one. Yeah, I I thought my thinking was that the um the disruption, if it was a disruption, was more of a uh like a paradox or a branching timeline from what he was doing, but nothing would have triggered it. It's like if he cut say like if he cut the apple in half and rewound half the apple and then suddenly he had two apples that's a paradox because it's the same matter in two different spots but nothing yeah, that... had triggered that to end the book hmm. oh, god i hate time travel okay so <laughs> i think <laughs> so i think what we see of the apple makes sense because it was it was pretty localized to just the apple and I guess his stomach. So he was also fast forwarding how much of that apple ended up in his stomach. Um, <laughs> okay. Which which was kind of a question I had. Like, was was he just eating that apple over and over when he was rewinding and fast forwarding? But um, the book, actually, that one does make sense from a paradox because he's restoring the pages from the book. However, Caecilius already has the pages and knows the knowledge of it. And it's not like the pages came back back like they were restored from this so now that the pages exist in two different places Mm. and 
and he's treating it because with time restoring it, it's like the pages were never stolen, but they are stolen because Caecilius has them. And the only reason that he's restoring them is because they were taken. And that's like, <laughs> I, I think it's related to like, I think that's what's causing the wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right. But again, we're back in the time travel. So again, backing away slowly. <laughs> and I thought I would complain very little about time travel in this movie. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, we get uh, Caecilius's attack. Um, is there anything you guys want to talk about during that? Al and I have a track record of being very bad about talking about action. i similarly tend to focus a lot more on character stuff than Mm -hmm. i do on the action scene so i'm not going to be a great person for that either except that i do like the uh how the relationship between dr strange and the cloak of of levitation begins during this battle i enjoyed that well, at that point, we might as well talk about my second hero, which is the Cloak of Levitation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm here for it. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my first thing is, I'm so glad that the carpet from Aladdin is finally getting new roles. I mean, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was typecast as that one character for so long. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, I just, uh, I, this was my biggest surprise, and I'm so disappointed that he is not loved as much as Baby Groot is. I love the Cloak of Levitation. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, that is basically the same style of character, right? It's kind of this this funny type of character who has a lot of power and just kind of uses as a crutch every so often. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love that you're considering the Cloak to be a hero. I was considering the Cloak to be a supporting character, uh, and, and it's it's or or his. I, I should I should give it like the pronoun, right? Because you're you're saying that it is it is a he, right? It is a, a hero in his own right. Um, but um, that might be my prejudices. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I it, it, the cloak does function in terms of pushing Strange's character along, and and that moment in the battle scene where he has to trust right the, the cloak is trying so hard to show him which weapon to use and he's resisting mm-hmm. and he's resisting and it's such a cool visual um and he's got to learn to trust and i thought that was really great yeah i mean uh i really i do call him a hero like not even jokingly i mean in just in this section he saves strange three times mm-hmm. when he fell down the stairs getting that strange bondage device on the Caecilius and then (laughs) (laughs) incapacitating the zealot. And also more facetiously, um, if you look at the movie posters of Dr. Strange, there are two characters consistently um, focused on is him and the cloak, which is in every promotional shot. So I will consider the cloak the hero. (laughs) And it's kind of a hidden hero too, right? Because it's, it's behind Doctor Strange. We we only ever see like the collar and like a little bit of the the sides. True. Yeah. <laughs> he's a hero as in Mike Wazowski is a hero in Monsters Inc. You know, he's always covered by that <laughs> that tag and sticker. <laughs> oh. Awesome. So I found out something recently like I so because how he's always covered by the sticker, apparently mm-hmm. they just kept that joke going 
Um, so when that movie was on Netflix, the like play next button was over him or, or something. I forgot what it was, but something. And then Disney plus is doing the same thing. Uh, <laughs> That's and then, so like... funny. <laughs> um, I, this was like five years ago when kingdom hearts three was announced and they announced that monsters Inc was going to be the world. Um, they had monsters Inc on the cover and they still covered up Mike Wazowski with like the monster <laughs> or the kingdom hearts logo. So yeah, it's just the best one of the best running jokes. It's great. <laughs> um. So yeah, so uh, the part so he fights. We ignore that because we don't like talking about fights. And then he goes <laughs> <laughs> to the hospital because he's been stabbed by a part of the mirror dimension. And um, the scene where he is assisting in his own surgery is um, straight from the comic I talked about last week, The Oath, where he's wounded. And um, I just thought that was a great callback. I do love scenes from uh, from uh, that are essentially panels from the comic books because for so many years before the MCU, we rarely got that because most comics book movies were embarrassed from their legacy. I mean, we got that whole line about yellow spandex in the first x-men movie which i'll never right, get over right. even though that was 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that was that long ago okay <laughs> wow <laughs> uh really quickly i just want to point out like i know he was dying and didn't have a lot of time but you know she keeps asking him these questions and he keeps being very cagey even though he's not like trying to lie he's he's just really bad at answering the questions like all he has to say is, I'm a wizard now, and done. That answers all the questions, um, and, and you're good. Other than, instead, she's asking, like, what are you wearing? What's going on? Like, all this stuff. And he's, like, being a little cagey in his responses, but still telling her the truth. Like, it, uh, it, it's not like he's trying to hide it, either. So, anyway, that's just an annoyance that I have with, with a lot of things like movies and TV shows, when, when characters are just not helpful with their responses. I don't know how helpful saying I'm a sorcerer is, though, in this situation. Well, when he shows up with his astral projection form, and <laughs> like she freaks out, and he's if he just said, hey, I'm a wizard now, I can do things, this is called astral projection, <laughs> alright, now let's go back to saving my life. Cool. We'll talk more about it later. It's gonna be okay. I'm not part of a cult. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, one one more thing on Strange uh, that I did think was interesting is when, you know, he the, the cloak uh, <laughs> helps him to trap Caecilius in that device, which is pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the villain. But, um, you know, Caecilius is, is given the, the classic kind of villain speech of this is uh this is why i'm doing what i'm doing right and uh you know strange prior to the scene had had some doubts about what the ancient one was teaching him and he had some questions um and he he certainly was not the type of person to have blind faith in her and and in uh you know what he was learning there at the sanctum or uh where sorry at, at comertage so i thought it was interesting that he doesn't you can see on his face that he's thinking about it but he doesn't fall for Caecilius's rhetoric for more than a second if he does at all fall for it um mm-hmm. 
and he, you know, he kind of uses, uses some humor and he's like, well, look at your face, right? Like to kind of say, okay, only a bad guy would have his face marked up like that. Um, but he, he really quickly says, Dormammu made you a murderer. Just how good could his kingdom be? Uh, and I, I thought that was interesting that we don't see more of, we don't see more uh, questioning on his part or, or more of a temptation to the dark side, uh, for lack of a better term there. I think that is the best term. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that's a good point. I mean, you know, when Caecilius starts talking, he he kind of does have that. Uh, well, I guess cult leader style of of speaking, right? Like he he show he's saying only the good stuff, but he's kind of hiding the the dirty parts, like murder. And, right. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Doctor Strange being the kind of guy we see him seeing like two or three scenes later, where he says, you know, I took an oath to protect people and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, you you kind of see like his his thinking of like well okay if people don't die then that's really good that is a thing that I as a doctor would like in the world oh wait no they they actually people have to die because of it and uh, okay no never mind Th- this is actually bad logic let's just move on I I kind of wonder if that's his his mm-hmm. thinking like he he did think through the the problem as a whole like oh this could actually be good oh but now Cassilius is doing all this bad stuff so. Eh, maybe it's not. So are you are you proposing that if he met Caecilius before he knew Caecilius murdered people, he would he might have gone along with it? He might have gone along for a little bit. I do think that eventually he would have realized, like, oh no, we're we're doing a lot of bad stuff here. I I need to bounce. This isn't good. Uh and so I, I think he would eventually figure it out and leave. Um But you know, Caecilius did start in that that way that, you know, those types of people always do start, right? Like, hey, look at all of this good that can happen. Right. Uh, yeah. Just embrace our not evil uh, God from a different dimension. Yeah. I mean, we, we've all been there, right? So so we know how easy it is to fall into, uh, into following <laughs> those kinds of people. It's true. It's true. I mean, I'm late know. for a cult meeting right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know how many Eldritch Horrors I've almost unleashed on the world? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we should move on. Do we want to move on to Caecilius and the villain? Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, we're already talking about him. Uh, I don't have anything else for any other (laughs) heroes. I mean, I still, in my notes, had the ancient one, but I've already brought everything up about her anyway, so I'm good. Yeah. Um, Well, Caecilius, at least I'll have a chance to play our little... Uh, villain uh, sound clips <laughs> if we have nothing else to say about them um, I ask you to what end dread it run from it destiny arrives all the same it's funny isn't it how even the best of men can be deceived by their true nature the hell does that mean that I am the ill intent what about the people you killed Tai momentary specs within an indifferent universe. I feel like we don't know enough about Caecilius to make him a strong or even sympathetic villain. We get one line saying that he lost his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it... We... It's one thing to lose your family. It's another thing to unleash the dark dimension on Earth. How did he get from point A of a grieving person to point Z of being a cult leader and murdering all these people. I don't, we don't get that. I think it really 
uh, it really hamstrings him as a villain. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, I mean that's for us as the audience. But uh, going to a theory that I don't believe, but I'm just throwing it out there because it kind of fits some of the other theories that we've already thrown out there that we don't believe. Um, the Caecilius being around right now is basically the entire reason that Doctor Strange becomes the Sorcerer Supreme. So maybe the Ancient One made sure uh, that guy became a sorcerer, or made sure that Caecilius became a sorcerer, and then kind of fell to the the dark side. Maybe she even killed his family. We don't know. Um, But, you know, it's all possible. I see what you're saying now in terms of the frustration about this kind of thing. Because once you open up all those possibilities, it becomes... uh, more and more frustrating to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, knowing what we know from part three, she is very much the end justifies the means because she is, I don't want to get into it too much because we don't have this information revealed, but she is dipping into a dark source of magic for what she thinks is the greater good. Mm hmm. So she would be the type of person who might allow Caecilius to go down this dark path if she thinks Doctor Strange becoming the Sorcerer Supreme is the greater good. Hmm. Yeah, and and that could also be like maybe the very first scene of the movie when Caecilius and a couple of the uh, followers get away. Maybe she actually could have just stopped them all easily by herself. Um, she is the Sorcerer Supreme, she knows she knows what she's doing. Um, I assume stopping just a handful of people like this was just an easy thing for her. She just wanted them to think yeah. that they were getting away. So. I mean, she's the Supreme. She has all the pizza toppings. So I, there's nothing to stop her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Caecilius right now is just a measly Hawaiian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So now, continue our discussion of the Doctor Strange characters as pizzas. Um, no, <laughs> but we could go off on that, I'm sure. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, Caecilius. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things, kind of talking about him again as a character and his motivations, kind of going back to it, um, he, he does seem like the kind of person who has drank the Kool-Aid in that he... he he seems like he genuinely believes that what he's doing is the right thing, right? He's not the villain of his own story. Um, and then when Doctor Strange asks him, hey, you know, why are you killing people? Why do you seem to have no problem with that? He, you know, Caecilius basically says that they don't matter, you know, in the grand scheme of things, just a few lives. Uh, he even uses the phrase tiny specks, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, in his mind, I guess, you know, we're going back to that ends justify the means. Um I guess within reason, because he still doesn't want to break the rule of creating a portal into the library. So that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> um, even though he used a portal to leave, right? He oh, did, but man. not to get in. Okay, all right, uh, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's very specific. Extraneating, in the library. <laughs> extraneating circumstances, right? He would have walked out the front door if he could, but okay. Yeah. And then, of course, the strange actually didn't break the rules either because he didn't get in the library. He just removed things from the library. 
Yeah, I was a piece of his arm, though, so I don't know. I don't know what the book says on that. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. All right, we'll we'll just add this to the list of um, pieces of documentation within the MCU that we really need to see in writing. So we've got the rules (laughs) at Kamartage. We have all of the Sokovia Accords and probably some other things, too, but... Until yeah. we know Sokovia, what they say, yeah. The Sokovia Accords is our biggest headache in Agents of Shields because we don't know what applies to them and what does not. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and they show up a little bit in some other TV shows too, like they'll be mentioned. But, but yeah, so far Agents of Shield, especially season four right now, has just been they, they bring them up just for the hell of it is what it feels like. All right, um, I don't have anything else for Caecilius unless you guys have. No. Um, it wasn't until, and again, I really need to pay attention to which of you is talking. Um, <laughs> um, one of you said that the the cool weapon he he has is is from the the mirror dimension. Never put two and two together to figure out that that's where the weapon comes from. I just assumed that that was like the weapon that evil people use uh, when they're trying to conjure a, a magical weapon. Yeah, it looks like a to me like a part of the mirror dimension. Yeah, and, and that, it makes a lot of sense, um, mm-hmm. especially because, and again, jumping to part three, that is something where we, we learn that Cassilius and his followers are uh, taking their power from the mirror dimension. So makes sense. Uh, that that's I think they're taking it from the dark dimension, right? Uh, yeah, you're right. Dark dimension. Uh, there was They said something about him being strong in the mirror dimension. Hey, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next week. Next week. I haven't watched the third part of the movie <laughs> for this viewing yet. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other villain type no. characters you want to bring up? No. No, I think we're good here. Next week we'll have two. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. Cool. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, read a, an ad from our sponsor, and then we'll get back to the episode. So, welcome to Baskin Robbins. Would you like to try our mango fruit blast? And Jerry's named a flavor after me, so start graving hazelnuts. Not bad. For your consideration, the Jerry. Uh, Tony, do you ever have trouble explaining a lot of content in succinct ways? For example, maybe a lot has changed in your life and someone just keeps asking you questions even though they should be performing emergency surgery on you? <laughs> um, more often than you'd think. <laughs> okay, so for those situations, you need some training. You need practice to know how to answer multiple questions in one fell swoop. Questions that haven't even been asked yet. And that's why I have taken multiple classes from our friends at Jmart Cobb. For demo purposes, they're letting me share a few bits of wisdom with you. Let's say someone is asking what you've been doing the last five years. A quick response is, I was lost in the snap. Or maybe they ask you, whoa, is that magic? All you have to say is, no, that's a microwave. It makes things hot using invisible waves. Kind of like magic, but someone gave it a specific name. If you want a masterclass in quick communication, Jmart Ka has you covered. Use promo code MCURewind to get accepted as a student immediately. No need to prove yourself by standing outside their facility for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go on to the guy in the chair. The guy in the chair. And I talked to someone called the Ancient One and... Oh. 
So you joined a cult. It's not a cult. Well, that's what a cultist would say. Oh. No, 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 no. Not those three wombats. No way. Where we will talk about the thing I thought you were going to reference in that ad that spells are programs and magic is the source code of the universe, which is essentially saying my least favorite line from all the MCU that uh, science is just uh, or magic is just science we don't understand yet. Which again is true, but also in the MCU, magic should be magic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm I'm with you on this one. I also feel very thrown every time I watch it and, and remember her saying that line, uh, that it you could call it a program. It's like code. I, I, I similarly feel um, a, a bit of an affront at that. I, I, mm-hmm. I want the magic to be magic. Yeah, it's like I, I mentioned earlier. Mar- Marvel likes their comic bookiness way more than any other thing before them, but they're still a little bit embarrassed to have mm-hmm. magic in this sci-fi universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is weird because like there's so many magic type of things that like they they really can just say like they they don't need to give a real explanation for it. Like, um, and I'm gonna bring this up in however many years it takes us to get to Thor Ragnarok, but you know, there's a lot of magic stuff in there, even though there is also a lot of sci-fi type of stuff in there too. Mm -hmm. Like they, they can kind of keep those separate as like a society that knows how to do magic stuff, but also learn how to make lasers. Like they they can coexist. Yeah. I think I don't want to get too deep into Ragnarok. Actually, I really do because I love that movie, but we shouldn't get too deep into Ragnarok. (laughs) <laughs> but I do like how they kind of threw away stuff from uh, Thor 1 and 2 saying that, yeah, he is a god. Yeah, his magic, his thunder magic does come from inside them, not from the, his hammer. It's kind of like re-imbuing Thor with the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in, like... A year and a half. I'm not looking at our spreadsheet for schedule. <laughs> <laughs> um, my other question about the Ancient One, and we touched on this. How many people has she killed by leaving them on Mount Everest? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, Okay, I had the same thought. Um, I'm going to go with zero. <laughs> Only because I think that she takes people to different locations. So that way she doesn't have to clean up the body. Otherwise, there would just be a pile of bodies like seven feet to the left. And Doctor Strange just like had to look around a corner. So (laughs) I'm thinking that was the first person she took to Mount Everest. She's got them all spread around all the different wonders of the world. All of the different, you know, prime locations that people want to travel (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> all right um i'm i'm done with the ancient one if unless you guys have anything else we've talked about her in so many other sections mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah i i think i think that's uh i think i've said what i need to say about her for these sections all right <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely get I think a lot more into her 
talking about her at least next week because well that's when we learn her actual storyline <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> all right um i just have i have very few notes for this section i have one for christine i just want to applaud her at how well she's taking the astral projection of Stephen steven strange because yeah she reacts very surprised as you would but then she just gets back to work and accepts it and accepts that she has to shock him to give him extra powers and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. I also sort of feel like that. Uh, it makes me, if I want to do like kind of a, a generous reading of her <laughs> character and, and give some credit here that maybe is not earned, but if anything, I feel like if we're going to look at it from that perspective, it, it does show that there's a real trust between the two of them mm-hmm. and a real easy, um, you know, repartee between the two of them that they can easily fall back into even when he is floating out of his body and dying <laughs> and she's performing high stress surgery um, that they kind of fall into an easy kind of conversation with each other. And she kind of just trusts like, this is what I need to do. And if your astral body is telling me to, shock you with higher voltage i'm gonna do it um it was definitely weird though yeah Yeah. i kind of wondered if also a part of that was just uh, um being used to working in a high stress situation like i i assume when you're you know performing surgeries in an er that you get a lot of people who need immediate surgery i don't know like a gunshot or something and they need that pulled out quickly um so i I assumed it was something like that but you know that's also a good point of like well they they know each other they've worked with each other it's very easy to to trust that teammate and just like okay if that's what they say then then they're probably right so yeah Yeah, my aunt is an er nurse and if i could think of anyone who would take i know who would take this in stride it would be her so i think it's just a a quality of people who work in the er So just to be certain, you're saying that taking in stride that a close personal friend is all of a sudden a wizard and showed up in their (laughs) astral projection form. You're saying that someone who works in an emergency room would take that better than someone who owns a comic book shop? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) what I am saying. Alright, um, anyone else we want to cover for the guy in the chair? Um, so I've got basic, uh, a question about uh, Wong and Mordo. Um, I mean, I really didn't bring up much about them because, you know, we get a little bit of backstory about them as characters. Um, Mordo, actually, we do get one line about him, basically, he used to be uh, in the the same shoes as uh, Doctor Strange, so like, we don't get that storyline. It's probably in the comics, that, so I don't know that story. I don't know if either of you know it, but um, no. yeah, maybe we'll get that in the next movie, considering how this one ends. Uh, but um, So Wong and Mordo, they were in the library when the explosion happened that pushed Doctor Strange into the New York um, Sanctum Centaurum, right? What were yes. they doing during that time? Because Strange was, was fighting for a while, and I'm pretty sure they knew where he was. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there might be uh, stuff happening there. There might be other zealots. Hey, I said the word correctly. Um, <laughs> Go for it. 
Yeah, I mean, it. I I assume there were other uh, people who were with um, with Kaecilius, so there may have been more uh, people or more damage. Who knows what happened? Recovery from the London Sanctorum Sanctum. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I just kind of assumed that they they left him there to to fight for himself. So okay, that's it. That's all I had. <laughs> all right. for other other characters i just wanted to know what they were doing yeah i think that's a great question i i was also sort of similarly wondering about that whole scene because that scene moves really fast right because I, I think one of them i think it's wong just kind of like shouts out london like he realized what had happened in london and then all of a sudden strangers in new york so i'm always mm-hmm. a little bit like wait what how did we get here um but i yeah. guess that makes sense yeah, I do and, think that they're... Oh, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to sort of say I, I I do like the pieces of characterization that we get from Mordo in this section. Um, we learn that he is very much of a mindset of trust your teacher, right? Like, mm-hmm. stop asking so many questions. Um, this is the way that it is. She made me what I am. Like, he, he really has a lot of trust in her. And of course, we kind of see where that goes in, in part three and then the ending of this movie. Uh, but I think it's interesting that you kind of get the seeds of that here. Yeah, I mean, he has deep faith in the Ancient One, which mm-hmm. makes what he perceives as her betrayal so much deeper as well. Right. All right. Um, are we ready to move on to the final 12%? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that. I don't know, TK, do you have any other... Uh characters you want to talk about uh, supporting characters no i don't think so all right the final 12 percent of the plan anything else we want to bring up that we have not covered in our discussion in our so far two hour long discussion of this hour and 45 minute movie (laughs) (laughs) stark tower is your baby give yourself 12 percent credit 12%. 12%. An argument can be made for 15 12%? Well, I my baby? did do all the heavy lifting. Literally, wow. I lifted the heavy things. You know, I'm 12 months older than you. Go. What percentage? I don't know. 12%. 12%? <laughs> that is not a plan. It's barely a concept. You're taking their side? I am Groot. So what? It's better than 11%. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Uh... All right, I've been waiting to bring this one up, and I think Tony, you hinted at this too. So maybe, maybe all three of us, maybe TK, you have the same note. I want to talk about that astral projection fight, and mm. what are the okay. rules? What can they touch? <laughs> what can they not touch? Do they control when they're touching something? Is it only their hands because their bodies will go through walls, but they can like hold on to themselves? I, what's what's going on here? What's weird? Like they float, but they can throw each other. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm I'm really confused. <laughs> Like, this is definitely one of those it-looks-cool-visually things, but when you start to think about it, like, like now now we need to answer some questions about how this works. You know, mainly for future reference of doing astral projection stuff. In, I mean, in, in a TV show, I'm sure that this is something that would get answered very quickly. In a movie, they can kind of hand-wave it, because they only do it once or twice. Well, we do learn that they are able to interact with a vending machine, Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> causing some extra chips to fall through and uh, the doctor gets an extra bag of chips out of it so there's that 
Okay, so yeah. and we can kind of link that to like when, uh, when Doctor Palmer gives him that jolt of of electricity that like, so that affects him. So something about mm-hmm. astral projection and electricity, I guess, where things get weird. Um, I wonder if it's a life force because like the extra energy going through your body connects to your soul. Hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah, Al. I had this note as well, but I decided consciously not to bring it up because we discussed time travel for so long, and these are <laughs> questions that cannot be answered. <laughs> okay, that that's fair. I mean, we already had the unanswerable questions earlier with astral projection when we were trying to figure out how how much rest he gets when he's reading while sleeping. So, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, that was just something that, that bothered me. Like, with the, the astral projection, like, they're, they're, they can kind of float, like they fly, but <laughs> they still punch each other and right. feel that. Like, that. that's where things get weird. And then they, like, when they're, like, going through walls, they can still grab onto the wall there and and be caught it's 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 weird like can can they control it is it just the hands that they control because i feel like they could fight a lot better like oh i'll just go through the wall and grab the next wall because then i'll be safer and the other guy will have to then go through the wall not sure if i'm right there or not and that that's like a whole fighting strategy i assume so i don't i don't know that's that's where things get weird so okay yeah although on 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 the bright side it is it is good to know that if you die in the uh, astral plane or in the matrix, you die in real life. So that's good. <laughs> anyway, uh, body can't live without a mind, except that's for right. when it can, because you're astral projecting. Okay, I'll take it back. <laughs> 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 All right, I want to talk about the sanctum locations okay. of New York, London, and Hong Kong. Supposedly, um, Agamotto, the guy whose eye that they're playing with. Uh, <laughs> was, that's an image. Yeah. <laughs> um, are, are, sorry, are you saying that Rocket Raccoon really wants to get a hold of this? Oh, I'm sure he would. <laughs> He's going to get that eye. <laughs> um, he uh, he found it. I can't remember honestly. I don't think they said in the movie, so it might be in the comic that he founded the Sanctums. Um. I feel like we get the idea that he is like really ancient, like hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago. Um, so London was founded in forty-seven uh, CE. Hong Kong was founded in two fourteen BCE, but New York was founded in sixteen twenty-four. How did New York get on this list? <laughs> <laughs> An excellent question. Um, so they, I thought they answered that. I thought they said something like in they were the sanctums were put in places that will become or that of of basically places that become great cities i, I thought they had some one-off line about that now how oh. he made that in new york i don't that part i have no idea um, <laughs> that, that's true so that it, it okay that it, it could have been established there long before the concept of what we know of new york as new york was yeah. that it was just in that location okay that makes sense yeah. that that actually makes a lot of sense because he's the guy who created this time travel device so he could know the future possibly well he found it 
and was able to control it, right? Because, I mean, if it's an infinity oh, gem... Oh, okay, yeah, he, he harnessed the time stone. You're right. Mm-hmm. Also, one final question with this. Do they just not care about the Southern Hemisphere at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I, I was trying to think about the distribution of, like, our, you know miles apart from each other or like Mm -hmm. if it's meant to create this protective shield that definitely doesn't seem evenly distributed around the earth yeah i mean i feel like at least you know one more in sydney and one more in um i don't know rio what's the or what's the most populous city in south america (laughs) probably rio okay so I'm not going to look this up, but uh, but I am curious. Okay, New York <laughs> makes sense. Um, most populated, populous city in the United States. Um, I don't know about Hong Kong, but I, I assume that that's a very densely populated city. Mm-hmm. Um, London is that? I'm I'm not sure. I don't. I I mean, it's it's a big city. I, I know that for sure. Um, however, the most populated city in the world is Mexico City. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Right, well, we gotta I, stop asking these an- unanswerable <laughs> questions because <laughs> it just ends with the three of us going. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think London is the most densely populated city in Europe by any means. Yeah, like that feels like the one that's an outlier. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's some other mystical reason, like maybe ley lines take apart in, in some way. Or, I mean, ley lines possibly like King Arthur, for all we know. I mean, um, we know the Black Knight is going to be a hero that, or we, people may not know this, in the Eternals is a Arthurian hero that is going to appear in that show, or that movie. I didn't so know that. I, That's cool. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, it's uh, the guy who played... Um, Jon Snow is going to be playing him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, for for the record, Monaco is the most populated um, city in Europe. Oh, right. okay. How many people? Well, I assume you have the Wikipedia. Uh, I, just clo- I just closed the tab. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Uh, never mind. That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, uh, TK, do you have any more unanswerable questions for us? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm taking one last look through my notes. I don't, I don't think so for this section. I I think, I think I'm happy with where we're at for this section. So Al, you want to wrap it up for us? Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, before we actually wrap up this episode, uh, TK, one more time, if you want to remind our listeners, uh, where they can find you and your show. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I am... There was an idea underscore, uh, sorry, there was an idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, wherever you find your podcasts. And on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at an idea underscore podcast. And uh, please give us a follow, say hello, check it out if you're interested. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Awesome. No, thank you for, for coming on here. We, we're, we're worried that we keep scaring people off. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. This has been a blast. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, then, in that case, join us next week when we will be finishing uh, our Doctor Strange rewind with part three. It's the rest of the movie, um, and you just heard TK say that she will be here next that's week, right. so that's good. Her, her word is her bond, apparently. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, this was part two of Doctor Strange. Uh, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter. We are at MCU underscore Rewind. And please give us a uh, rating of some kind on a podcast app. We would like more of them. They're, they're, they're nice. Preferably five star. Them. Yeah, pre- preferably five star. We, we like to sprinkle the, the ratings on like crackers or something as a nice snack. Um, anyway, this is the Marvel Cinematic Rewind signing off. Have a marvelous day. Trip, another